0: All right, let me pray for us lord apply this uh word to our heart lord this word of hope uh this truth about your coming and your return uh i pray just like paul was eager uh for the thessalonians uh to grasp the significance of this i pray that something that maybe we've heard of uh, but don't think a lot about would land fresh uh, on our hearts today we love you in your name amen All right, so three things, uh, I think we'll be able to get to them. Three things out of this passage that uh, I believe are worth us considering this morning. One, uh, the dangers of uninformed living. The dangers of uninformed living. Uh, Secondly, uh, being formed by the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And then thirdly, uh, his charge there at the end uh, to encourage one another, okay? Uninformed living formed by the hope of the resurrection, and then encourage one another. So first, the dangers of uninformed living. Right there in verse 13, Paul says it right out the gate. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so those who are, who are already dead, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. Saying, I, I don't want you to live uninformed because being uninformed is a, is a dangerous thing. Like how do, how do you personally, in the area of death, but I mean in all areas of life, like how do you deal with uncertainty? Like when you're experiencing um, a degree of I don't understand what's gonna happen, especially when it's connected to something that's really vital, like how is this really Sad or really hard or really difficult situation going to work out? how do you deal with that? How do you face uncertainty or or not understanding something? Well, if you're like me, uh, I'll just confess what i I tend to do uh, any any sort of space, any sort of uncertainty, any sort of unknown uh, my mind has this way that naturally kind of wants to fill it in with something right like we, we've done this since we were little kids. You hear something, a bump in the night, right? An, a noise in the closet, and what do you imagine, right? There's, there's a monster, or there's something bad in there when it's really just, I live in an old house and it's got creaky floors and it, and it creaks and groans, right? Our minds tend to naturally fill the space of uncertainty. And oftentimes... Most of the time, maybe, they fill it with the worst-case stuff, right? Like, I tend to ruminate on all the wrong things and imagine all the wrong things. My mind fills it in with the worst-case stuff. It's either that or I distract myself. That's another thing that I'll do. I distract myself from what I don't understand or what I'm uncertain about. And I I kind of try to do something to take my heart and my mind off of it, and I'll do something that kind of numbs me so I don't have to feel the pain of dealing with that uncertainty. Those are usually the two things that I do, right? I, I live either uninformed, right, and then kind of dominated by fear, or I live willfully ignorant, and my life is kind of dominated by what Scripture calls folly, right? And, and Paul's saying neither of those places are good, uninformed or willfully ignorant, right? Uninformed, he says it here, I don't want you to be uninformed so that you do not, you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Uninformed living is a life where it's just only grief, right? Because they're, they're talking about people who have died here, real loss, and separation from people that they love. An uninformed life is a life that it's only marked by grief. It's only marked by sadness. It's only marked by loss. And Paul, Paul's not saying here, hey, grief, if you understand the hope that you have in Jesus, you'll never grieve. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you do grieve, but you actually grieve with hope. Grief is a natural thing. Grief is an inviting emotion, right? I should feel grief at the loss of somebody. It's a thousand percent appropriate in the face of death. We should grieve and we should grieve deeply. Because death is is not what we were created for. It's not what God intended. Death grieved God so much that he sent his own son to defeat it. Right? He hates death. We hate death. So to not grieve is, is to kind of not be emotionally aware. It's to be unplugged from from your own heart and your own mind. We should grieve. We just don't have to grieve like the rest of the world grieves as those without hope. He's saying it's dangerous to be uninformed. It's also dangerous to be willfully ignorant. Ignorant which, if I'm honest, uh, I see this a lot in my own life, uh, I see it a lot in a lot of people, where we actually pretend, <laughs> we, we deny, specifically in death, we deny something is, is gonna happen or not happen in order to avoid the pain. I, de- I deny my own mortality. I, I don't wanna face that. I don't wanna, I don't wanna look at that in, in the face. And then I distract myself in a way to avoid that pain. I'll pour myself into something else in order to busy myself from having to feel what I might feel if I really looked at that, right? Ernest Becker uh, wrote a book called The Denial of Death. He was a Pulitzer Prize winning author in 1973. He won a Pulitzer Prize for this book and he says it in his book, The Denial of Death. Modern man is drinking and drugging himself out of awareness or he spends his time shopping which is the same thing man literally drives himself into a blind obliviousness with social games with psychological tricks with personal preoccupations so far removed from the reality of his situation that they are forms of madness madness all the same Paul saying i don't want you to be uninformed because if you're uninformed, then, then all life is, is, is just grief. All life is, is just loss. All life is, is just fear and uncertainty. And, and if, that's, if that's all there is, then, then that is going to shape the entire narrative of your life. You can't, you can't live uninformed. And you can't live willfully ignorant either. Because if fear isn't shaping the narrative, then folly will. That life is just all about the here and now. Life is just about my comfort and my pleasure and my satisfactions until, right? Maybe we've all maybe already been there until something like death comes into our lives and then we're left unprepared for what we're made to face our mortality or the mortality of someone that we love. And Paul is saying it's dangerous. It's dangerous to live uninformed because it affects how you lived now. Uninformed living means to be formed by some other hope. Uninformed living means to be formed by some other expectation. And he's saying you're you're either formed, you and I are either formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ or we're being formed by something else. Our culture, the wisdom, the age, our own thoughts. And so the invitation is, first, right out the gate, don't be uninformed. I want you to be formed. And what? Formed by what? Second thing, formed by the hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, "I don't want you to be uninformed. I, w- I want you to be informed. So what does he say? For we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And he goes on to describe that. I'll talk about that here in a second. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to be informed, and I want you to be formed by this one thing. I want you to be formed and have your hope formed and swing on the hinge completely of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus, which sadly, and I'm, heck, I'm the pastor. I guess I'm guilty of this. We, we tend to only talk about the resurrection at Easter. And even in preparing for this, I realized, man, this is something that is, is so, it should be so much more formative to our daily lives than we allow it to be. The resurrection of Jesus actually should shape and form how we move and groove in our daily lives. What does he say there? He says, we believe that he died and rose again. We believe that those who have died, they are with him and they will return with him. He says in here, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are still alive will be caught up into the air and we will be together with the Lord forever. It's pretty succinct here. It's, it's literally, in, in some ways, it's like a, a little miniature Apostles Creed. He's saying, this is the absolute distillation. I'm not giving you all of the details, but I'm telling you, this is the truth. For those that are asleep in Christ and dead already and those who are alive when he returns. He says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 15, if that's not true, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then what we're doing right now is a giant waste of time. You are to be pitied more than all men. You're still in your sin, and therefore life is simply marked by our good works and trying to earn God's favor, and it's only grief, it's only loss. Eat, drink, you know, today, for tomorrow you shall die, right? If this resurrection thing isn't true, then we are to be pitied more than all men. But if it is true, we believe it is true. Paul is saying, you have resources now in this life. You have resources now to face the pain, to face the uncertainty that you experience, the fear that you experience, the loss in a different way because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you're reading this, if we, I can read it to you again, but it still leaves a lot of questions, right? Right? Like, the people who have died, they're already with Jesus. We know Scripture teaches that, but their bodies, it says here, are going to be raised. Like, what's that going to be like? Like, think about that for a second. Their bodies are going to be raised. And it says in here that if I'm still alive when Jesus returns, I'm going to fly and be caught up in the air with Jesus and those people Bodies that have been raised right like what if I'm afraid of heights do I <laughs> that was a joke y'all come on and are we going to stay in the air like where it says there you know we're going to be up in the air all together right but I remember other places in scripture that talk about Jerusalem that's the city that's being prepared and coming down heaven coming down to earth and that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth right. I mean, when you when you really read this, some of us who maybe have been in church, you just kind of read it, read over and you're like, oh yeah, you know, that's I guess that's happening. You know, it's like this, this stuff's crazy, what's being said here. And if you look into all the other passages that talk about the resurrection, I mean, it, it should cause you to go, whoa. This is really remarkable stuff, and I I don't know. I need to lean into this, right? Well, there, there, are, there are tons of legitimate questions. We, I obviously can't answer them all this morning. I'm not even sure I can answer them all. Some of them aren't answered, right? It, it requires faith, right? But let's just stay in this text here and see how, because I said we're trying to be not uninformed. We want to be formed by the hope of the resurrection. How can we be formed by the hope of the resurrection just out of this one little passage here? Verse 14 for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Let's just take that one sentence. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again. Jesus died. Okay? There's no no resurrection without death. No need for it. Why did Jesus die? What does Scripture teach us about that? Let's think together for a second. Scripture says he had to die. In order to atone for our sin, that that was a necessary thing to satisfy God's justice, so that our righteousness or His righteousness could be given to us. Right? So Jesus had to die. But we also believe that He didn't just die. We believe. Remember, He keeps saying here, "We believe." Right? He's like, "This is what you believe." We believe He rose, and when He rose, He conquered sin and He conquered death. And we also believe, it says there, that he's coming back. The coming of the Lord. And when he comes down from heaven, well, how is he returning? Because this experience here where he says, the coming of the Lord, uh, he will come down with a loud command, with a voice of an archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. If you, if you know anything about the first coming of Christ, right, right, You know, away in the manger, you know, and little Nazareth and Mary and Joseph, and and it's real meek and humble, and, you know, he's born in a little town with a small zip code and all that, right? This is a very different coming of Jesus, right? Like, a loud command, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet, for the people today, that may just get lost on us today, but um, this is the way that a king of the day would have ridden into a land that he had already conquered. Not, not a king who was riding in to conquer. This wasn't a, a battle march. This was a victory parade, right? This is like, uh, you know, the ticker tape parades you see pictures of in old New York City photos, Right? This is a triumphant procession where the victory is already won and where the king is coming and he's saying, I'm coming to inhabit what is mine. And he's saying to them, those who have died already, you're going to get to be a part of that. Just like those who are alive when I return. You're going to be a part of that great victory procession. What Paul's doing here, he's saying, Thessalonians, Midtownians, (laughs) the second coming, it's gonna be different than the first. Like we'll celebrate this here in a few weeks at Palm Sunday, right? When Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and everyone's chanting, right? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the King of Israel. This is our King, this is our King, right? And remember, he's, he's riding in on a, on a colt, on this donkey, which would evoke all this imagery of David, right? It's like, okay, the king is here, and he's going to overthrow Rome. He's leading a political revolt and revolution. Our time is now. That's the king they wanted. But that wasn't the king that was coming at that time. He was a king who was coming at that time as a sacrificial lamb. And he was coming to conquer the real enemy, which wasn't Rome. It was sin and it was death. It wasn't the enemy outside of them, it was the enemy inside of them. He was coming to liberate them from. Paul's saying, I, Yeah, that, that day, that day's past. That day is done. That day was finished on the cross and in the resurrection of Christ. This day that I'm talking about, this is the day to come. And this day, this isn't the day of the Lamb. This is the day of the Lion. This is the day where Jesus, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, and all of his splendor, will literally show up, and the world will drop to its knee. And he's saying, you're going to be a part of that day. Those of you who are in Christ, you're going to be a part of that triumphant procession when the king comes, not as a conqueror, but as a victor, when he doesn't come in meekness anymore, but in might. You guys know, I've used it enough. I'm, I'm a Marvel Universe fan and a Marvel DC. There's no real battle is there between those two universes? No okay everybody's a little bit quiet here Marvel like Iron Man those films right now sorry I see a couple folks like nah I still don't the very end of Endgame it's actually I mean they Marvel films actually do have some really fantastic kind of imagery obviously uh in those films but remember Endgame there's there's half the people who have vanished right And then half the people who are actually still around and they actually, you know, all the little circles start happening and people start coming out and you see Black Panther for the first time again and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, Spider-Man's not really dead and, you know, they all come together, right, to face Thanos because the battle, they need everybody for the battle. That's not what's happening. I mean, it's a fantastic picture. The The reunion is the good picture, but that's not what's happening. Thanos is dead already in this story. Satan has been defeated in this story. Everybody's coming together not to fight for something. Everyone's coming together to actually celebrate the victory has been won. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. And Paul is saying Yeah, you grieve, you grieve right now, but you don't grieve as those without hope. And he's saying, that, that's your hope. This is our hope. Maybe it's better to say it this way. Not just that day, he is our hope. We will be with the Lord forever. And he will deliver. He will deliver on this day because his resurrection proves that he will because death itself could not hold him, right? And even when I say the word hope, like we read this word hope and you and I, we're, we're prone to our own definitions of those words, right? Like we say things like this, like man, I hope that this happens or man, I sure hope that doesn't happen, right? Which means there's, there's a degree of like maybe it will or maybe it won't. Hoping is more, in our, in our language, it's more like wishful thinking or kind of like I'm trying to be optimistic about something and not pessimistic about something. Like I, re- I remember literally, I don't know who told me this, but probably pain, life's pain told me this. Don't get your hopes up, right? Don't get your, you know, kind of keep, keep your hopes in check, right? Because you don't want to be disappointed, And probably we we think about that word hope in a lot of ways because people have made a lot of promises to us and broken those promises right and so we've gotten actually cynical or guarded about that word like eh, i just i don't know it feels feels really you know there's a saying in britain it's the hope that kills you right i just in shawshank doesn't shawshank redemption he talks about that right like Man, hope's a dangerous thing. Uh, Paul's saying the exact opposite here. Saying, "No, it's it's absolutely dangerous to not have this hope." Right? And Paul's saying here we we have we have a hope, and and the word the word is very different than the English word. The word in the in the Greek is is not optimistic or, or kind of wishful. The word in Scripture uh, actually is is a word for confidence. It's a word for certainty. It it, it Literally, uh, Scripture talks about we have this hope like an anchor for our soul. It's concrete. It's something that we stand on, right? And why that is is because our hope and everything that's happening here, right, all of our hope isn't in our own works, right? Our hope is in Him, right? It's in that He has risen and that He is coming back and that He will raise us with Him, Right? Our hope doesn't have its origin in us or in our feelings or our ability to kind of muster it up. Our hope is in Him. You literally could almost say it this way. I don't have hope. Hope has me. He has me. 1 Peter 1, through 3-4 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him, right? Why? In His great mercy... Not something we did. In his mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So his resurrection gave me this new birth into this living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Paul's saying, Thessalonians would you would you let that that hope that living hope that new birth that came through the resurrection of Jesus this inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade would you let that hope form your life would you not be uninformed because if you're uninformed let me, let me just I'll say that one more thing about hope and then I'll go to the last point if you're uninformed about That hope. You you need to understand something that because you are a being who is created to hope and to put your hope in something, you will put your hope in something else if you're not putting your hope in that. You can't not do it. Ecclesiastes 3 literally says that God has set eternity in your hearts. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory because you carry around the weight of eternal longing in your heart, and if you don't understand that, it's dangerous Because you will take the weight of that glory and you will say, what is gonna satisfy this? And you will put it on something else. Most counseling (laughs) I do with other people and I hear people going to, a lot of it has to do with this very issue. My hope is in something too small when my hope is really about what Paul is talking about here. I'm waiting on a day when the Lord's gonna return and I'm gonna be with him When I when I'm uninformed about that hope and I'm not being formed by the hope of the resurrection, I put my hope in something too small, like a renovation, or a relationship, or a promotion, or a vacation, or a new school, or my kids turning out a certain way, or my life turning out a certain way. And he's saying Would you let the hope of the resurrection, Jesus literally put his hands on you and form your life based on this truth and this reality? Because Paul is saying, this day that you long for, this moment that all of your desire has its origin in and its fulfillment in, that day is guaranteed. It's coming. Jesus is gonna return, and when he does, those that are in him will reign with him in glory. So Paul gives some practical advice. He says, I want you to encourage one another, right? I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to be formed by this hope of the resurrection, and you, you actually play a role in that. We play a role in that for one another, and it's this. He says, therefore, because all of that is true, encourage one another with these words. What's he saying there? He's saying, I I literally, I want you to form one another. (laughs) Your words, literally, like, we know that words, you know, they affect us, right? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's a lie. (laughs) Words penetrate deeply and shape your life, right? He's saying, form one another with this hope that you have in Jesus. Encourage one another. Why do you need Courage. Why do I need courage? Well, because life is hard, right? Princess Bride taught us that, right? Life is hard. Anybody else? Life is pain, Highness. Anybody else is selling you something, right? Life is hard, and when life gets hard, I get afraid. I get forgetful about the truth. I have, I have daily gospel amnesia is what I have, right? Right? We also have an enemy who's constantly tempting us. Put your hope in this, put your hope in this, put your hope in this, right? And fear, when I'm afraid, fear literally can grab the steering wheel of my heart and like ramp me off into the ditch. Like, I. We are literally like gospel tow trucks for one another who are coming around and literally saying like, hey, I see you in the ditch there. Like, let me, th- let me hook you up to the hope and drag you out of the ditch. We, we actually have that, that uh, gift of being that for one another in relationship with one another. Encourage one another with these words because we need courage. And we need to remember this. We need to experience it, Right? So that we can be those who do grieve, we should grieve. We should be the best grievers in the world, as Christians. But we also should be those who have hope, and who know how to live in that hope. He's saying, encourage one another. Well, let me, let me, let me. I'll give you three of my cables, my my tow truck cables that I've learned over the years, of um, of feeling sad, legitimately sad. Uh, and, and at times so heavy with, with life and, and all that's happening in life um, that th- this is ways that, that the risen Jesus, that the resurrection of the Jesus has, has pulled me out of the ditch of despair. So th- here, here are three ways that, that I'll just give them, they encourage me and hopefully there'll be tools in your toolbox to encourage one another. The first one is this, how does the resurrection encourage me? first thing is this what I'm facing and what I'm experiencing it is not the final say like when you're in pain you know it's almost like the it kind of puts the blinders on and it's it's all you can think about it's all you know that's part of why being somebody outside of it (laughs) you actually can come along somebody who's inside of it and obviously there's lots of nuance to how you do this but you actually have the 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 power to in the in the power of the Lord to step into that and say, "Hey, I I know this is what we're experiencing, um, but this experience isn't the final say." And I actually I bring the resources of eternity into the present, right? I I borrow from my future because because you're sons of the King, right? Right? You're you're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. You bring the resources of the future into the present. So the power of the resurrection tells me this, what I'm facing right now, it's not the final say. The other thing it tells me is this, because Jesus is risen and he sent his Holy Spirit to me, I'm not alone in whatever I'm facing. I mean, that's one of the things pain tends to make me do as well is I get really focused just on me and I feel all alone in that. And he's saying, no, 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 you're not alone. You have have my Holy Spirit, which means you have capacity to endure things that you didn't know you could endure. You actually have comfort available to you through my Holy Spirit. Literally, Scripture says this, that you have the first fruits of the resurrection already in the Spirit, right? You have the first fruits of that to face all of these little daily deaths that we face all along the way to our final death, right? Right? So the resurrection says, not only what I'm experiencing isn't the final say, but because Jesus is risen, I'm not alone in that. I have resources in that in Him. And then the last thing I will say this, this is this is a very specific tow truck cable for me. Because this this triumphal procession, this is a picture of glory, y'all. Like, <laughs> we're in the victory march. And and if the glory that my heart desires, that my heart was made for, is, is already bound up in this day, if it's already accomplished in Jesus, Romans 4 says that he rose to justify me, then, then what that means is this, that it doesn't just punch my ticket to this day. It doesn't just get me access, you know, the VIP access to this moment, right? But in the present tense, what it means is this that I, I can stop living a life trying to justify myself now. I, I can stop living a life trying to get the verdict, I belong, or I'm enough, or I'm loved, right? Because he's saying here, for those who have fallen asleep and those who are still alive, you're in him, right? I already have that verdict. I already have him, and so I can leave a life I actually can leave a life of trying to get this world to give me what it cannot give me, putting my hope in something smaller than this. I can leave a life of trying to get what the world can never give me, and now I'm actually freed up in the world to give what this world most desperately needs and that's him. Do you know my Jesus? Do you know that your hope and your longing and your desire, it's all bound up in him? We're actually free to stop living for that verdict because we can live in the finished work of Christ. All right. So are you living uninformed or willfully ignorant? I I do a lot of days. Um, the invitation is, hey, step out of it. Step out of the uninformed life or the willfully ignorant life. And would you maybe even as we're preparing for Easter, would you let this Easter season and the truth and the power and the hope of the risen Jesus begin to form your life. And uh, my prayer is that we would be those who learn how to encourage one another with that. Like We, we, we want to encourage one another with, with things that are too small. Oftentimes, rather than saying, no, no, we, we have this great and powerful truth and hope and relationship with him. Let me give you that. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you for this word from Paul, um, who understood better than anyone um, how easy it is to get your hope uh, put in something too small, and how easy it is um, in a place of uncertainty or being uninformed to get really afraid, um, and for that fear uh, to begin to shape the narrative of our lives. So thank you uh even as we prepare in these upcoming weeks for Easter, um, Lord, that we celebrate that you you did die and you died for us because you loved us, and you rose for us <laughs> because you loved us, and Lord, that we have a very secure um, and profoundly beautiful hope uh and future uh only because of what you've done uh, may that um not just be some um thing we kind of assent to. <laughs> We think about occasionally, Lord, uh, but would the truth and the power of the risen Jesus, uh, Lord, uh, would your truth and your power begin to shape uh, every day of our lives? We love you, in your name, amen.